Against the Odds, AHC's inaugural podcast series featuring the true stories of real-life bands of brothers who exhibited unparalleled bravery, solidarity, and endurance on the battlefield to come out on top in a fight against impossible odds. Reliving battles from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq, these are the true stories of the harsh realities of war as told by the veterans who served to tell. I'm your host, Shane Bowler, and this week we present The Battle of Way. On January 31, 1968, over 10,000 NVA captured Way City during the Tet Offensive. 150 Marines are rushed in to recapture the city. We went around the corner and all hell broke loose. Grenades everywhere, booby traps. You were fighting for your life. Communists completely controlled the city. The odds were phenomenal against us. You're fighting for the guy next to you, and he's fighting for you. That's the only thing you were fighting for. Courage? There were Marines with, with bullet holes, with burns, with broken bones that refused medevac. It was just amazing. I mean, they would get hit, medevac back to McVee compound. They would crawl out the window and come back to a platoon to keep fighting. Sacrifice. It wasn't apple pie. It wasn't any noble cause of freedom for Vietnam. What it was that drove us was the love of your brother Marine. And if you would leave them, there would be tremendous guilt. A desperate fight against impossible odds and a brotherhood that would turn defeat into victory. This is their story. Against the Odds, the battle for Way City. John Legato, Alpha Company. 1st Marines Division, 1st Regiment. I got to Vietnam and signed Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 1st Marines. Then on 30 January 1968, we got sent to Fubai. Half of the company did not make it because of uh, insufficient helicopters to fly. So we had a, a company of approximately 150 Marines, which was at half strength. Fubai, was supposed to be a little rest and relaxation. Uh, most of us at Alpha Company had not eaten a hot meal in four or five months. Uh, we had not taken showers. Richard B. Cobb, Golf Company, 2nd Marines Division, 5th Regiment. I served with 1st Platoon Golf Company, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. They had pulled us back to uh, Fubai which was a real luxury for us. You know, that's where they had hot showers and a mess hall, real food. And so that was kind of a, a nice break. 
or at least we thought. In late January, the Americans and South Vietnamese were aware of unusual movements by the NVA. But nothing had indicated that underfoot was one of the greatest strategic surprises in all of military history. Shortly after midnight on January 13, 1968, the enemy strikes, sweeping through the whole country in a single stroke. They infiltrate tens of thousands of North Vietnamese regulars and Viet Cong guerrillas. They strike the big cities, Saigon, Da Nang. They strike every provincial capital, every key hamlet. Most vitally, they strike Way. Way is more than a beautiful cultural center of the nation. It is the heart of South Vietnam's logistical and transportation center and critical to the American war effort. It is a key objective of the enemy to be taken and held while they re-educate the population to inspire a people's revolution. But for all its towering strategic value, there is hardly any U.S. military in the city except for a handful of advisors at the MACV compound, regional headquarters for Military Assistance Command Vietnam. Sometime in the middle of the night, our company commander woke us up and uh, told us to saddle up that the MACV compound in Way City needed our help. And we'd be back by noon. Now, being salty Marines, I had wet socks, so I just put my combat boots on with no socks. Took one bandolier of ammo, and we loaded up on trucks. When we started out to Way City, I, I, I really was thinking, wow, this is going to be cool, you know, the old imperial capital and citadel from a couple thousand years before. And that one particular day, the Lunar New Year, we were thinking, you know, bad guys were supposed to stand down and, of course, didn't think anything about it. You know, a nice truck ride, go to Way City and do a little sightseeing, and wow, this is great. And uh, it just keeps getting better. Colonel Joseph H. Alexander, Marine Corps historian. These were terribly confusing days for the, for the Americans and for the Marines. Reports from all over of North Vietnamese everywhere, disasters and rumors. They didn't know that this was a major offensive, that there were everywhere in the country there were North Vietnamese and Viet Cong uh, running rampant. By striking so many targets, the communications line, the network just blew out almost with all these emergency reports. Help us, we're being overrun, we need supporting arms, we need reinforcements, help us. So way, yes, they're in way, but we didn't know how bad or what was there. So as the first rifle company from Fubai came up the road to way, they still don't understand the range and depth of the North Vietnamese defenses. And they were waiting for us. It was a death trap. At 10 a.m., with fewer than 150 men, the convoy arrives at the MACV compound. We got to the MACV compound. There was a lull in the, in the fighting. They repelled, I don't know how many attacks. They had barely survived the surge. Their walls had been breached. And I can remember there was a, a wall, and they started cheering us as we came in because they had been through hell. And they thought that we were there to save the, the day and 
you know, little did we know the numerical numbers of NVA there. Two hours after their arrival, the Marines received their orders. After making it to MACB, a short while later, the captain gave the order for us to advance across the uh, Perfume River Bridge, which is considerably long. It looked even longer after they started shooting at us. At 3.30 p.m., Golf Company arrives at the Perfume River. When I got to the river, I just, across the river, I saw a big NVA flag, and I saw hundreds of NVA, which, now at Quang Tri and, and Contian, we had seen the enemy, but this was something like we've never seen before, hundreds of them. And they had the best equipment because before the, the uh, attack on Way City, they had broken into an Arvin armory which had all American weapons and bullets, and, and they had stolen all of that, so they were well armed. Alpha Company's role was to fire support across the river for Gulf Company to cross. At 4.30, Gulf Company begins their assault over the nagayan Hawang Bridge. When Gulf Company started to go across, I thought, such a narrow field of fire, a narrow killing zone. And as they went across, machine guns opened up, NVA machine guns, rockets, mortars. Get back! Move, move, move. And we were taking fire the whole time going across here. They occasionally would feel a little sting in the legs where the concrete was getting kicked up from the round. Golf Company had little cover and concealment, so they, they went across, there was 150 Marines from Gulf Company, approximately, that went across that bridge. Fifty were dead or wounded. And I remember the Gunny and I going off into the bridge and dragging these guys back, the dead and wounded. I mean, they were just chewed up. What we didn't know is on the first day of Way City, there was nine battalions of NVA. Nine numerically that put us at that point at a few hundred to one odds. And these were not Viet Cong. These were trained NVA troops with uh, weapons and training and the ability. And this was their battle to end this war. Most of us thought we'd never get out. The opening shock and confusion of the Tet Offensive now sweeping across all of South Vietnam has sent a few hundred Marines into a death trap. The few Viet Cong guerrillas they expected to find while relieving the MACV compound in Way turn out to be more than 10,000 NVA regulars. We have two rifle companies, at best 300 men. We are losing men left and right. There's great confusion. They still don't know that they're facing 10,000 North Vietnamese regulars waiting for them. If you remember the Gunny, uh, Gunny Canley is a Marine legend. He didn't talk much. And he came by on his rounds, and I'm, I'm looking out, and I said, Gunny, how's it look? And the Gunny said, it don't look good, legato. With the outbreak of Tet and the seizure of Way, the Marines were located at Fubai, a crossroads airfield. 
This was a home with the headquarters of Task Force X-Ray under the command of Brigadier General Foster LeHue. The reports he had were way were conflicting and confusing. General LeHue responded to these urgent calls for reinforcements by sending Fox Company up in helicopters to the outskirts of Way and putting them into the fray. Mike Downs, Fox Company, 2nd Marines Division, 5th Regiment. We were given the impression that we were to go into Way City, report to 1-1, they were having a little bit of difficulty there, and we'd probably be back in a couple of days. James H. McCoy, Fox Company, 2nd Marines Division, 5th Regiment. I'd come into country. I'd been there about two weeks. Lieutenant come over and said, break the platoon down the helicopter team. And I said, where are we going? He said, I don't know. I run down the street, and we had all these big buildings, and the guys are all looking around, too. They don't, we don't know how, where the hell we're at. We just come out of a rice paddy. We went around the corner, started down the street, and all hell broke loose. They were just zapping us as fast as we went around the damn corner. They were in elevated positions in the building, shooting down on us. They get hit from the neck up, bam, back down. We couldn't, we couldn't move. And everybody's just sitting there. They don't know what the hell they'd been in. They're just sitting there looking, looking. And the guys start getting their ammo, putting it in their magazines, checking their rifles, because then they realize this is it. When your brain is in jungle mode, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a city being fired at, it was a totally different war. Ron Christmas, Hotel Company, Marine 2nd Division, 5th Regiment. None of our lieutenants had had real training in urban warfare. Our troops had not really had training in urban warfare. You'd run across the street, and you look around, and the guys that were on your flanks, they're laying out in the street. And pretty soon, you know, you just think, damn, how many people is it going to take? to get this place secured. Next one could be me. I'd been in country two weeks, and I wind up in one of the biggest battles of war, Way City. And I get in there, I don't know what's happening, but I knew what we were supposed to do. The younger guys, the biggest problem they had was they had made friends. And when your friend gets killed, part of you gets killed. When I went through boot camp, they taught you, you don't make friends, only acquaintances. Then when they get killed, you're not going to lose any part of you. I, I wanted to take care of them. They were young. They were like my sons. But you just can't do it. You just lose part of yourself every time you lose one of them. And you've only got so many parts. It affected me for a long time. As a matter of fact, there's one young kid, I still see his face, Salazar. I send flowers to his grave every year in Texas. 
He just, he looked like he was smiling all the time. He gets killed and it just always stayed in my mind. The small brotherhood of only a few hundred Marines face an overwhelming enemy, 10,000 strong. But already they are adapting to the gruesome realities of urban combat. In the hours to come, their unparalleled heroism and relentless courage would inspire daring new tactics and incredible feats of human perseverance as they fight to save their brothers in savage and barbaric battle against the odds. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Whatever we did was hell. All of a sudden, it seemed like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds. Monday at 10 on A8C. Ambushed and under savage attack in way by a dug in enemy outnumbering the small Marine Brotherhood a hundred to one. They find the odds stacked against them in all directions. Marines are trained to fight as an air ground team, but that was not available, any of it, on the first days in the Battle for Way. The weather was bad, no aircraft could really fly safely. Even worse for the Marines is a smothering order not to damage the historic old city. The Marines are forbidden by rules of engagement to use napalm, naval gunfire, artillery, or mortars, the prime tools of urban combat. In those first days, they were going pretty much just with their own individual weapons against heavily defended, well-armed pockets of North Vietnamese who were just waiting for them. The enemy had defended in strong points. So every several blocks, there would be a strong point. So you got the upper floors, you've got snipers. And down that street, there was a machine gun. And that machine gun had flanking fire directly down the street. Just intense fire. It was like the typical scene in one of these World War II movies. Concrete ships flying everywhere. As we certainly learned on that first day, trying to go down both sides of the street and, and finding that uh, totally ineffective, we had to adapt quickly, and that was sort of a natural thing for these Marines. Americans adapt. We improvise. The most ferocious fighting machine the world has ever seen is a 19-year-old pissed-off Marine. 
because you'll take that kid from Detroit or Mississippi and you'll train him in Marine Corps boot camp and you'll put him in a situation that's foreign to him and he will adapt and improvise and, and become that situation and deal with it. Ernie Cheatham got there with the battalion headquarters. The decision was made. The only way to do this is to, in fact, go frontally, house by house. Emergency, get that T&E on! Colonel Cheatham, uh, what's the objective and your, what are your men about to do? Well, I've, I've got two companies here that are just about to clear the next two blocks up. What kind of fighting is it going to be? It's house to house and from room to room. The uh, rules of engagement were fairly stringent. We were not to use any indirect fire weapons interpreted by us to be artillery. But uh, when Lieutenant Colonel Cheatham arrived in the third, the emphasis on these uh, rules of engagement uh, dissipated. And uh, our directions from him was, if you even suspect there's enemy in the building, blow the building down. We were blowing holes through the wall then with the three fives, and it'd take a hole out you could drive a tank through. What we would do is blast holes through each wall, and we'd go through that wall and clear that courtyard then blast a hole through the next wall, and we just worked our way down the street that way. Those young Marines, one idea after another, they were always aggressive. They were always innovative. And that's what makes the Marine Corps go around. We learned that when you take a building, you've got to go in the building, you've got to take every room, and you've got to secure every room. Then you move on to the next building, you do the same thing. I guess they just didn't realize they were fighting the United States Marines and we were going to get that damn building. It didn't make a damn if we had to blow it all up, blow them up, the people beside them, but we were getting that building, and that's what we did. We took it building by building, room by room, and the guys were just, they were just wonderful. They were, they just fought their butts off. We were trying to advance. The NBA was dug in. They were firing B-40 rockets, RPGs, and we couldn't move. We were pinned down again, and we were losing a lot of Marines. The operations officer from our battalion was hit pretty bad, and the Marines were crying out, and even though Major Murphy was hit bad, he was shouting encouragement to the other Marines, and he eventually asked for a pen and paper. And he, um, he wrote a note to his wife. And then he signaled for Father Lyons. And Father Lyons had been hit in the leg. And men lifted up Father Lyons to, to Major Murphy. And he gave him last rites. And the last thing Major Murphy said, may God help my Marine. By February 6th, after a week of brutal house-to-house -house fighting, the Marines only hold a quarter of Way City. The one thing that I'll never forget 
the Marines, most of us were wounded. Now normally if a Marine is wounded, shrapnel, you break your leg, whatever, you'd go to the rear and you'd, you'd get fixed up and it was sort of a, a nice two, three day R&R, &R, you'd get stitched up or um, tetanus shot, you'd come back. There were Marines with, with bullet holes, with shrapnel in them, with eardrums busted, with burns, with broken bones that refused medevac. In fact, many times Marines were wounded and they were so afraid that they wouldn't be able to go back that they faked going back for medical treatment. Guys were, were walking using their weapons as crutches. And the thing is, it wasn't at that point apple pie. It wasn't any noble cause of freedom for Vietnam. What it was that drove us was the love of your brother Marine. And if you would leave them, there would be tremendous guilt. As the Marines adapt and innovate to overcome the carnage of block-by-block -block urban combat, they face a sobering fact. There are thousands more of the enemy than of them. For the NVA, such facts of attrition are critical. It is only a matter of time before they bleed the diminishing Marines into non-existence. But the Marines know something they don't. And it is no small fact. Marines don't give a damn about statistics only winning. Wei is about to become one of the deadliest battles of the entire Vietnam War. By February 9, 1968, after 10 days of relentless combat, Wei has already become one of the deadliest battles of the entire Vietnam War. There's also a saying in Vietnam when I got there, you know, I was 19, and these guys that were 19 had been there one month longer than me were like God. They had wisdom. And they used to say, you can kill me, but you can't eat me. And I, I didn't know what that meant. Or what I figured out what it meant is, is, is you're in Vietnam and you're humping 50, 60 pounds of gear and ammo and you have 110 degree weather. We slept out in the monsoons and you got leeches, you got dysentery. And it comes a point where if killing me is the worst thing you can do, that's not good enough anymore. If that's your best shot to kill me, I'm not afraid to die. And at Way City, that feeling, you know, again, with everybody being wounded. Okay, go ahead, you know. You can kill me, but you can't eat me. On February 9th, 1968, after 10 days of relentless combat, Wei has already become one of the deadliest battles of the entire Vietnam War. You always had that fear that this would be the last time you would go into a building because you thought, wow, I'm going in here. What am I going to hit or who's going to be in there? Battle was just, just intense everywhere around you. There was no such thing as danger close. 
The difference about urban conflict is you're 35 meters from your enemy. You're looking at him and he's looking at you. When you accomplished your mission, you had that big sigh of, boy, I made it through this one. But there was also the thought of, uh, well, where are we going next? And now what do we have to do? I mean, we were moving blocks. We were occupying buildings that the enemy used to occupy. This was war as we understood it. One of the things when you fight in an urban area is because of the din, unbelievable total noise, the fact that you physically are going over, you know, you're going through rubble, you're gonna, you, you really get very physically, physically tired. It's a tough and difficult fight. We use so many hand grenades that they started issuing hand grenades from World War II. That's all they had left. They couldn't, they, we just ran out of hand grenades. We had blown up every room in there that we could. On the 14th of February, the Marines accomplished the impossible. They recaptured the southern half of Way below the Perfume River from the grasp of an enemy a hundred times their size. But it has left only a few hundred exhausted and wounded Marines. And the battle is far from over. Across the river lies the northern half of the city, a complex maze of fortress-like structures held by an estimated 8,000 dug-in NVA, a modern-day Thermopylae. It was there that the Greek warriors stood side by side against an overwhelming Persian army. Their creed of brotherhood could easily transcend the thousands of years to the Marines at way. Rise up, warriors. Take your stand at one another's sides, our feet set wide and rooted like oaks in the ground. Learn to love death's ink-black shadow as much as you love the light of dawn. Here is courage, mankind's finest possession. Here is the noblest prize that a young man can endeavor to win. No warrior ever embodied this ethos more than the Marines at Way. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Whatever we did was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around you, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. With weeks of murderous fighting to clear the southern position of Way now behind them, the Marines launch an even tougher battle across the Perfume River to clear the northern half of the city. Over 8,000 entrenched NVA are waiting. With the main bridge over the Perfume River blown, the Marines load on to Navy LCUs, large open-decked landing craft, for a three-mile downstream flanking attack. 
The exposed passage would become a deadly gauntlet as NVA machine gunners and mortar crews prepared to unleash hell on the oncoming troops. After fighting the first half of the battle with crucially needed air and naval gunfire support withheld, the political handcuffs come off entirely. Cruisers and destroyers of the 7th Fleet open fire on targets a dozen miles away. Marine fighter bombers sweep in low, laying in napalm and high explosives. On March 2nd, after 10 days of brutal fighting, American forces pushed the remaining NVA out of Way City. Way City would be declared secure on the 2nd of March, 1968. The once beautiful and cultural center of Vietnam lay in ruins. Over 3,500 of its citizens were dead, murdered in cold blood by the NVA, and buried in mass graves. Another 116,000 citizens were now homeless refugees. The great uprising the NVA had hoped for that would help push America out of Vietnam never materialized. Do I believe we won Ted of 68? Darn right we did. We would win tactically, but psychologically, the war-weary United States and its public was just not there for it anymore. So Tet, in my mind, became, became the Gettysburg of our own Civil War. It was a turning point. In the end, it would take 31 days and cost the Allies 4,400 combat casualties. But for those Marines and soldiers who had clawed their way through building after building against impossible odds, the victory was nothing short of a miracle. Richard Cobb. When it's all said and done, I don't believe we could have done it any better. I think we did a fine job. I think we accomplished the mission that we set out to do. It took a lot longer than we thought it was going to, but I think the end result was um, a job well done. James McCoy. They really weren't kids anymore. They grew into men right there. They really grew up and I was proud of every damn one of them. John Legato. Some of the Marines I served with, Jimmy Sullivan, Pat Fairley, Herman Watkins, Eddie Neese, though 19, ran consistently into enemy fire, ran consistently exposing themselves while saving other Marines. Jeff Shea. I really saw probably some of the bravest men that, that I'd ever see in my life. And I would do it again tomorrow with the same group of guys. Ron Christmas. You know, they say of Iwo Jima, Uncommon valor was a common virtue. That's what I saw in way. The inspiration of, of just how they looked after each other. The Battle of Way will forever be regarded as one of the Marine Corps' finest hours. The sacrifice and valor of the men who persevered against the odds will never be forgotten.
This podcast was produced by the American Heroes Channel. Join us again next week for Against the Odds, A Chance in Hell, The Battle for Ramadi. The story of the U.S.-led fight to take back the city that became the center of the insurgency in Iraq. I'm your host, Shane Bowler. Thank you for listening.